You know, this uh, growing theme has me thinking about spring, and I'm sure for many of us and what we experienced just a couple weeks ago and kind of the one winter blast, we are ready for it. And uh, what a wonderful thing it is when we talk about growing in Christ. And we today are in week number eight, believe it or not, of this Rooted in Christ series out of the book of Colossians. We've been walking through Colossians passage by passage. And if you've been with us or online with us, even in the last couple of Sundays, the last two Sundays, we've centered ourselves on the powerful message that is found in Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes about putting off the old self, and with the putting off of the old self is the putting off of the sinful ways of that old self. And he says then instead to not only remove the old self, but to replace the old self with the new self, which is being renewed as we follow Christ that within the putting on of that new self in Colossians 3 means to clothe ourselves with things such as compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and to also be willing to forgive and to love as Christ has loved us. You see, Paul makes it very clear that it's this love which binds us all together, this thing known as the body of believers that binds us all together in unity and allows for the peace of Christ to rule. As Paul writes in Colossians 3, our children's ministry director, Kaya, has some things to share with us along those lines, and so I want to go ahead and have you turn your attention to the screens as you hear what she has to share with us. Today I want to tell you a story about something that happened to me when I was in the second grade. Maybe you've had something like this happen to you too. One day, on my way to second grade, my mom dropped me off at school and she told me what she always does right before I head into class. First, she said that I am kind. Then she said that I am smart. And then she said that I am loved. When I got into class, my teacher told us that we had a new student joining us. The teacher told us her name. I thought it sounded a little bit funny, so I laughed. Then the teacher asked us to sit down and get out a pencil. The new girl was sitting in front of me, and I watched as she wrestled in her backpack, trying to find a pencil. Eventually, she said, oh no, I don't have any pencils. Can I borrow one of yours? I had just gotten a package of brand new pink sparkly pencils, but I didn't know this new girl. What if I gave her my pencil and she never gave it back? So I said, I'm sorry, I don't have any pencils to share. The teacher wrote a math problem on the board and asked us all to solve it. We all raised our hands, but the teacher said, why don't we give our new friend a turn? So she asked the new girl, what is the answer of five minus two? She said four. It was hard for all of us not to laugh because everybody knew that that was not the right answer. So I kind of laughed a little bit and the new girl heard me. sudden, the new girl ran out of the classroom crying. 
It was just then that I remembered my first day of school and how nervous I had been. I realized that I wasn't being very kind, nice, or loving to this new girl in my class. I decided to change. I reached into my desk and then raced down the hall. I found the new girl, but she was kind of scared to see me. I said, I'm sorry, I haven't been very nice to you today. Then I held up my hand. This is five, I said. If I take away two, how many are left? And she got a big smile on her face and said, three, which is the right answer. Then I handed her two of my new sparkly pencils. I am so glad that you are a new student in my class. And then we both walked into class together. She and I were friends for the whole year. That was the day I learned what Paul is talking about in Colossians. He says, let the peace of Christ rule our hearts, since as members of one body, we were called to peace. In Colossians, Paul teaches us that we should put to death all of the negative things that grow up in our life like weeds, and instead we should focus on growing love and unity between one another through peace. Have you ever had an encounter like this? What's something that you can do to foster love and peace in the relationships that you have? Well, I appreciate Kaya challenging us in that way in that family ministry teaching moment. I'll, what I recognize, too, is I need to get my technology down so I can write things in thin air on my camera, too. I just can't quite figure that out. But so appreciate just that perspective as we have looked most recently into this dynamic of taking off the old self and putting on the new self in Colossians 3. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray for a moment? God, we come to you this morning, Lord, just so thankful that we can gather both in person and virtually for the many who are joining us online. God, we pray that your presence and that your spirit would be in our time and your word today. God, we recognize that your spirit is the one who speaks through your word, God. And my desire and prayer is in the words that I have prepared, and these thoughts, that they would reflect your thoughts, God, and your message to be delivered to our hearts and minds today. God, guide us as we take this time in your word, as we spend this time together, and as we're challenged to grow and be more deeply rooted in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we turn our attention to Colossians chapter 4. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles if you have your Bible with you or a device to Scripture in Colossians 4 beginning in verse 2. Yes, it is more or less the concluding passage within this series, but I will let you know that we're actually extending our series into next Sunday as we're going to take some time to look at the breadth of the entire book in way of recap to consider some of those personal takeaways. And we're also going to have a few testimonies that, have, that are shared about what God has been speaking to individuals through this teaching time. Throughout this series, we have seen Paul point to the fact that Jesus is enough. Now, while Paul doesn't say that specifically, we see it all over the things that he shares to the church in Colossae. He says, Jesus is enough. Nothing needs to be added to the message of Jesus, certainly not the false teaching that was prominent in that day. 
Paul is telling his audience of this letter, Paul is saying to us, stay focused on him. Stay focused on Jesus. So our passage starts in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2 with these words. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, Paul says, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul says, be wise in the, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. I think I got that sentence along. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you should act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity, Paul says. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. These few verses will in fact be our focus in the message this morning, but I want us to go on ahead and finish Paul's letter. Now, I'm not going to have that entire text up on the screen, but this begins in verse 7 of Colossians 4, and if you have your scriptures open, then follow along. Now, Paul writes in in verse 7, he says, Tychicus will tell you, we've got a bunch of names here to navigate, I'll just say it right now, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, Tychicus, and I'll just kind of interject some things within this text, that we, he's only mentioned a few times in Scripture. It's clear that he was part of Paul's delivery system. He, we know that he also delivered the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, but there's only a few mentions of him generally in kind of those final greetings portion of Paul's letters. Paul continues there. He says that he, is, he Tychicus, is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has happened here. Onesimus, apparently, as we know from the book of Philemon, and it's so interesting to see how these different epistles, the letters of Paul, interact, that Onesimus was apparently a slave to Philemon, that in the book of Philemon, Paul pleads for Onesimus's freedom. That's a mouthful, Onesimus's freedom. He was a former slave of Philemon. So we continue on. Paul says that my fellow prisoner, um, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You will have instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. There, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Aristarchus being a fellow prisoner of Paul, 
We talk about Mark, we talk about Jesus, who's also named Justice, all comforted and encouraged Paul during this time that he was imprisoned in Rome. Let's continue. Again, I told you there's a bunch of names to navigate. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Paul again is citing many who are a part of this journey. Epaphras not only cited here but also in, in other books that he heard here in Colossians. He heard the gospel and he was one of the ones who helped plant this very Colossian church. Verse 14, Paul says, Our dear friend, friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, Paul says, see to it that um, see to it is also read in the church of Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. You see, we kind of get a sense of the nature of Paul's writings that so often we think, well, this was just a letter intended for this particular group. The reality is that the Apostle Paul's letters were to be circulated around to these, through these brothers and sisters, all partners in spreading the gospel. Paul finally writes, he says, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry that you have received in the Lord. You see, there was evidence for this individual that maybe they'd become discouraged in the faith had become discouraged in the call, and Paul offers this point of encouragement. Then finally, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And so, with all of that kind of context, with all of that camaraderie, if you will, and how Paul's message was distributed and who was partnering and comforting, comforting Paul and encouraging him during this time, we come back to this message early in Colossians 4. Paul, in essence, is saying, he says, after all I have written, let's circle back to the importance of prayer. The very subject where Paul started, as he so often did in his letters, praying that the believers who would receive his message and his words would be encouraged, and Paul offering thanksgiving and prayers for their partnership in the advancing of the kingdom of God. Paul is circling back here in Colossians 4 to the importance of prayer. Now speaking of circle, here in the season of Lent, for me personally, some of you know that I'm pursuing a 40-day prayer challenge. If you're Facebook friends with me, then you've maybe seen a few posts in the last week and a half. It's it's a prayer challenge that's simply called Draw the Circle. It's a resource by pastor and author Mark Batterson. Some of you are familiar with that resource. For about three years ago, we encouraged many to walk through that in the season of Lent. Want to encourage you that you're welcome to join me in that endeavor. It doesn't take any special resource. It doesn't take any special things other than just a desire to be praying. It's not too late, even though we're already about a week and a half in to Lent. You see, the challenge is 
that at 7.14 a.m., that for five to seven minutes of concentrated prayer, that we kind of commit our ways and our day to the Lord. 7.14, of course, inspired by the scripture in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7.14, where it's written, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then the Lord says, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. I want to encourage you in the season of Lent to consider what your commitment is to prayer, to consider what God would want to say to you in not only the season of Lent, but in every season of the year, that God desires to speak. I've loved already a couple of statements that Batterson has mentioned in this Draw the Circle resource. He says, if you pray regularly to God, irregular things will happen on a regular basis. Don't you love that? If you pray regularly to God, irregular things will happen on a regular basis. And here's one other. The greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered simply because they go unasked. Friends, I wonder for us if prayer or rather prayerlessness is more of the issue for we're not willing to pray about the things that are on our hearts. God invites us in this dialogue. God invites us in this relationship, this conversation of prayer. And how sad it would be the prayers that go unanswered simply because they go unasked. The fact is, and Paul speaks to it here in Colossians 4, is that prayer changes things. Do you believe that? That prayer changes things. That prayer affects things. That prayer affects us. Understand that while Scripture talks so much about prayer, it's only in our personal practice of prayer that our belief really takes root. The Barna Research Group has done many studies of the great numbers and percentages of people who believe in prayer. But the flip side of it is that very few are willing to practice it. You see, prayer not only has the power to change things, but prayer has the power to change us. Prayer changes us. So in our remaining time here in this text this morning, let's consider what prayer has the potential of changing within us. And you might even take some notes on this this morning. The first being this, that prayer can change your perspective. Prayer can change your perspective. Notice that Paul doesn't encourage us here in Colossians 4 and verse 2 to simply somehow dabble in prayer, right? Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer how often are we tempted myself included to just even when it comes to spiritual things and spiritual disciplines right to maybe just dabble in it enough to look like I'm being obedient and know what I'm doing here and 
Yet Paul is calling to a whole nother level. He says, don't simply dabble in this thing we know as prayer, but devote yourselves to prayer. Maybe we need to take an honest look at ourselves and, and kind of assess, is my track record kind of more of a dabbling or is it really a devotion when it comes to the matters of prayer? Paul says in verse 2 here that it's a matter also of being watchful and being thankful. Our perspective changes through prayer as we draw close to God in our devotion to hearing from Him. We're devoted to this thing known as prayer. We're devoted to this conversation, to this part of the relationship that we have with Him. And our perspective begins to change as we draw close to Him. Being watchful is not only being in tune with God and His working, but it's what, being watchful is also being aware of the enemy's disruptions and where the enemy wants to full-on attack things within your life and wants to just disrupt in a way whatever he can, whatever Satan can to get in the way of God's working in your life. And while our prayer needs to, needs can mount at times and we come with this list of prayers, we're to always be thankful. Sometimes our prayer needs are so heavy, the last thing that's on our hearts is being thankful. And yet Paul reminds us in Philippians 4, 6, right, that in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, I always find it interesting that that's inserted in there. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. If prayer can change our perspective, then we should probably ponder this following question. What does God want me to see that I might be missing? What does God want me to see and what will he allow me to see through prayer that I might currently be missing? You see, prayer can change your perspective. But this is the second thing we can bring out of this text in Colossians 4. We recognize that prayer can change your opportunities. Not just your perspective, but your opportunities. Paul says, pray for God's open door. Pray for God's opportunity to proclaim His mystery to the world who needs to know about Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting to me that in spite of Paul, this being one of his prison letters, right? So he is, he is imprisoned at home, is basically what's going on in Rome here as he writes this letter. Isn't it interesting that despite Paul being in prison, he doesn't pray for his own release. Instead, he prays for opportunity in the midst of his circumstances. Friends, again, I wonder, and I know myself, that I'd much rather play, pray for the release of all those circumstances than to pray for the opportunity within the circumstances. Prayer can change your opportunities. You see, Paul's prayer here, it underscores what Paul says in verse 5 when he makes this statement. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Don't always pray 
and expect that your circumstances will always change, but know that God wants to do a powerful work in the midst of your circumstances. So while you're maybe praying for a whole new slate of circumstances, God is saying, I'm going to take this circumstance and I'm going to bring some new opportunity to it. Prayer can change your opportunities. Do you see prayer as a way of changing or enhancing the opportunities that God is bringing before you? I think it's certainly worth asking ourselves, how does God want to speak through my life? How does God want to speak through your life? You see, prayer can change your perspective. It can create opportunities, but it can also increase your effectiveness. Prayer can change your effectiveness by providing you with wisdom in your conversations with others, to provide you with wisdom, especially in your conversations with those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, we want to, in those kind of conversations, we want to be able to deliver, right? Quote-unquote, deliver whatever we think the deliverable is. We want to make sure in that conversation with an unbeliever, right, that we, we deliver in that moment. But what Paul is reminding us of is he says it's not just simply in your content— it's how you're conducting yourself in the midst of that conversation. Paul says that you're to be full of grace and seasoned with salt. In other words, you can have all the spiritual knowledge and then some, and yet fail in the conversation of that moment. Why? Because while we may have the content in mind, the way that we are choosing to conduct ourselves and the way that the Spirit of God is wanting to work in the midst of that conversation might have gotten shut, and shut down because you just needed to deliver. You just needed to prove a point in that moment. That's why the Apostle Peter makes a point to emphasize in our approach in 1 Peter verse, chapter 3 and verse 15, he says that, yes, always be prepared with an answer for the hope that you have in Christ. And many of you know this scripture, but Peter says, but do it with what? With gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. We talk a fair amount around here at Centralia Community Church about being people that are full of grace and truth. The way that Jesus himself was described, not that we can attain to anywhere close of who Jesus is and who he was as he walked this earth, but we can be grace and truth people. Friends, when we are grace and truth people, it means that our conversations being full of grace and seasoned with salt also have the ability to share the truth of what God wants to bring in the midst of that conversation, in the midst of that relationship. Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. But some of us might say, but I, but I have to be right right? I have to be right. I have to, in essence, win the argument. 
Friends, what I would say to you is that as we think about how prayer can change our effectiveness, trust God and pray that he would direct you in the midst of those kinds of conversations, in those kinds of relationships. Allow God room to work. Allow God to increase the effectiveness. Allow God to enhance the opportunity. Allow God to change your perspective because you have first sought him in prayer. I love Paul's use of grace and being seasoned with salt. Of course, grace being the reflection of God's character, the reflection of God's compassion toward us. Salt, certainly understand, is the, thing that, the very thing that brings flavor, but also serves the purpose of being a preservative. We're called to be salt and light, right? Gospels remind us of, of that, but we're also called to be this salt that brings this flavor, that brings this preservative, that, that brings the power of God's work within us to a world that desperately needs that kind of seasoning, a world that needs that kind of light. Yes, prayer can change your effectiveness. Let me suggest the question what will God do through me if I am simply open and willing? What does God want to do through you if you are simply open and willing? Guys, I wonder sometimes, and maybe we need to come back to the question as it relates to prayer, how big is your God? How big is your God. What are you believing him for right now in the matters of prayer? I think so often we're tempted to look through the pages of scripture and we see people who seemingly for the most part had it figured out. Okay, minus maybe the Israelites, right? It seems like again and again you're thinking, I would have gotten it by now, right? But sometimes we revere those in Scripture, and not that we shouldn't, but at the same point, they are ordinary, they are, are imperfect people, just like we are ourselves. We look through the pages of Scripture, and we figure that these people always got it right. And yet then we come across accounts such as recorded in Acts chapter 12, when the apostle Peter had been imprisoned, and through a miraculous set of circumstances he was released in the middle of night from prison now the believers were diligently praying behind locked door for Peter for his release I mean just try to get a picture of this they were fully trusting God to release Peter and yet when God did a miraculous work and did in fact release Peter, he's wandering the streets. He decides to go back to the house where he knows the believers are praying. And it's all locked up. He knocks on the door. A servant comes to the door, recognizes Peter, can't believe that Peter's at the front door, closes the door, locks the door, goes back into the group and says, Peter's at the door. And the whole group is there praying, right? And they're like, you're crazy. You're crazy. Yes, we are praying for this to happen, but there's no way it has happened. I cite that example for us to consider again this question, how big is your God? 
How big is your God? Friends, we need to adopt a mentality of prayer without limits. Prayer without limits. My prayer for myself and my prayer for you is that as we see a God who desires to communicate with us in prayer, as we recognize that prayer has a way of changing our perspective and our look on things, as we consider that prayer can change the opportunities that are before us, and that undoubtedly prayer can change our very circumstances and our effectiveness. I believe that God is inviting us to a prayer relationship that doesn't put the limitations on God, that when God chooses to answer, sometimes in very miraculous ways that we don't somehow try to dismiss it or explain it away, or just neglect it or ignore it altogether, right? But that we embrace what God wants to do and how God wants to act and work through us in this thing and this discipline that we know as prayer. I believe for us today, as I want to invite the worship team to come back up this morning, that's probably simply the statement of saying to God, to say, Lord, I am available to you. I am available to the things that you want to speak into me through this time in prayer that I spend with you. God, I am available for you to change the agenda maybe that I've set up for myself. God, I am available for you to work in so much greater effectiveness than maybe how I've attempted to limit you in my own box. I pray that your desire is to see God powerfully move through your own prayer life and that your prayer would simply be, God, help me be available to the things that you want to do in and through me. Will you bow your heads as we pray this morning? God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word, the opportunity to be challenged, to consider how Paul circles back around from the very place where he started, praying with such thanksgiving and now challenging in prayer, be devoted to prayer, to allow God you to bring our relationship and prayer life with you to an entirely different level. Lord, I pray that we would never choose to limit you, but that we would just say to you, God, I'm available to you. Speak and move as you so choose. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.